Hello and welcome back to the Tune Lighting Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in to to another episode. And I am once again and still, unfortunately, remotely joined by podcast co-host and bandmate Jack Edwards. Hello, everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, lockdown is easing, but we are still recording this remotely, unfortunately, and still writing the album remotely. Clearly, we're uh, we're hitting some uh, some resistance in the writing process that we talked about, and uh, of course, a good way to overcome that resistance, which we also talked about, is constantly looking for new ideas and inspiration. Uh, and we enjoyed so much the episode that we did a few weeks ago, where we looked at Muse's second album, "The Origin of Symmetry," and uh, we we picked out ten things that we loved about that album, uh, and we found that it, we, we went away, or I certainly did, uh, and was able to kind of start thinking it made me really think about certain things in the writing and recording process and I found it really useful so we've decided to do it again <laughs> because we enjoyed it so much and but, uh, the twist is we're, we're reviewing a different album that is yeah that is a twist it would be <laughs> 10 more things we love about <laughs> <laughs> Origin of Symmetry by Muse um, yeah so in the next in the series of out 10 things we love about an album we didn't write very catchy <laughs> uh, we are going to be doing a deep dive and picking out 10 things that we love about the album a grand don't come for free by in the streets see i reckon you're about an eight or a nine maybe even nine and a half in four beers time that blue top shot top you've got on is nice bit too much fake tan no but yeah you score high but there's just one little thing that's really 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 annoying me about you you see yeah yeah like i said you are really fit but my gosh don't you just know it now you may be familiar with this album you may not be but this if you are not it was the second also the second studio album we we seem to like second albums of English rapper and producer Mike Skinner. Uh, and this album came out back in 2004 on Locked On and 679 Records. Uh, Wikipedia describes the genre as alternative hip hop, electronica, UK garage, and also rap opera, which uh, may, if you haven't heard it, may make you think, what? What is this? What is this album? Sounds intriguing. Well, we will uh, we will explain that as we go on. Um, and it, it this album it reached uh, number one in the UK charts, uh, UK and Ireland. Uh, didn't quite reach those heady heights uh, in the rest of the world, um, but it has since then gone down in a lot of lists uh, across the world, not just in the UK, in terms of iconic albums uh, of of the noughties uh, NME one example picked out as uh, number 16 in their list of top 50 albums of the noughties so it was critically acclaimed by many people at the time and uh, even since it is too and also by us so yes moving on to point number one and point number one is Jack <laughs> it is the ultimate concept album that's up for debate, but it's definitely a concept album. <laughs> um, it is. So concept albums in general were a, th- a big thing for a while in in the 70s and may- they went away, but were no longer considered very fashionable, um, associated with, with prog rock. But with this album, Mike Skinner bought a concept album back in a big way. Uh, you get concept albums which are kind of, where the songs are loosely based 
on a theme, tying them together. And then you get ones which go a step further and there's actually a narrative running through the whole thing from start to finish. And this is one of those albums. This take, particular take on a concept album, compared to, you mentioned some of the the ones uh, back in the 70s, 80s, where they were they were almost science fiction type. Yeah, they were quite grand and flamboyant like storylines and stuff. But this is kind of the complete opposite to that you you might go and write a concept album to take yourself to somewhere because you could write about anything you could take yourself you could write about a planet that doesn't exist or you, you could you know, you've just got your imagination you're not just drawing from personal experience but what i love about this is that even though mike skinner could write about literally anything the the storyline that he does choose to to write about is uh, not something you might you might think he would pick so should, should we give a quick rundown of uh, of what the store of the story is <laughs> spoiler warning here uh, lord of the rings it is not it is not a sprawling epic it's quite a, a basic premise um our protagonist mike uh who i presume is a you know semi-fictionalized yeah. version of mike skinner uh starts by losing a grand a thousand pounds mm. uh, the eponymous grand that don't come for free um he has a shoebox full of money for some reason, which I don't think it's ever made quite clear, but he's, he's saved up a thousand pounds. And he loses that on the very first track. So the shoebox full of money just disappearing from me was not what I call funny. A grand don't come for free. Today I have achieved absolutely now. In just being out of the house I've lost out. If I wanted to end up with more now, I should have just stayed in bed like I know how. That's almost a secondary uh, secondary story uh, that runs through the album. In track two, he meets a girl and starts a relationship. They have a brief honeymoon period, if you were, where everything's great. Um, then the cracks start to appear. There's cheating going on from both sides. Eventually they break up. And then in the final uh, song of the album... The story resolves and we find out uh, what happens or what had happened to his thousand quid. Um, more on that a bit later, but that is that yeah. is the plot. So it's essentially a, a a movie, isn't it? And in a in an album, it's uh, in its own way. I think yeah, it's very it's very un unglamorous. Um, it's a film about very normal people doing fairly normal things, um, but it's all the better for it. Everything from for me when I first saw the cover of the album, it it sets the scene. It t transports you to a very specific place. You know, as a, from an out from a musical point of view, I've never I've never felt quite so thrown into into a scene as I have with the with this album. So, yeah, that's what makes it such a great concept album. I think in my mind. She didn't look too bored with what I was saying Her hair looked much better than the other day She had her fingers round her hair playing I saw on telly that's a good indication Still enough to buy the next drink though, nay But I suppose that's just our girl's way I'm trying to think what else I can say Peeling the label off, spinning the ashtray As a concept album with a narrative There is a, uh, a small cast of main characters. Obviously, you've got Mike Skinner, he's the first and, uh, first and foremost. But there are other vocal contributions. His girlfriend, Simone, is actually voiced by 
Simone Buchanan, who is a Nottingham rapper, also going by the moniker C Moan, the letter C Moan. If I'm talking to you, you shouldn't be gawping in thin air. You're so selfish, but what about us as in peer? Briefly looking at her Wikipedia, she doesn't seem to have done very much since, so I think it's probably just a mate of Mike's who helped out on the album. Uh, same with uh, one of his friends, Scott, who's one of the main characters, played by a guy called Wayne G. Right, I can't be bothered with this no more. I'm going to have to tell him I owe him the score. Uh, there's also another of his mates, Dan, who doesn't actually get uh, a speaking part on the album, but he's a, a big presence throughout. Uh, he works in JD Sports with Simone, <laughs> as, a, as noted on the song. Could well be in. She looked much fitter than Saturday Joss. She worked in JD's with Dan. Both of them are the big four and members of a kind of secondary characters like the uh, the white-shirted man who uh, pops up in a couple of the songs. Given very little character um, development, but we know he's there and we know he kind of grinds Mike's gears a bit. <laughs> you walk towards my path, but you just brush right past and into the arms of that fucking white-shirted man. You get to know this little world that Mike's created um, throughout the album. And these characters crop up sometimes in passing. It is an example of an album that you really needs to be uh, enjoyed from start to finish to get the most out of it. But point number two is that although it is a, it's a great album and really do recommend if you haven't listened to it, do listen to it from start to finish. But you may well have heard some of the big singles off the album in isolation. And yeah, point two is there's some great songs on their own merit as well as being a great album. Uh, and there were four singles, I think, from uh, from the album. Uh, there was Fit But You Know It, which was the first one released, uh, then Dry Your Eyes, Blinded By The Lights, and Could Well Be In. Yeah, some of the, the street's very biggest hits came from this album. Dry Your Eyes got to number one in the UK. Fit But You Know It was probably their big breakout single. They do work as uh, snapshots of particular subjects on their own. Uh, Dry Your Eyes doesn't need to be in a concept album. It's a song about being dumped and dealing with that, but it just so happens that it's placed in the album Mm. uh, towards the end, at the end of a relationship that's been going on for the previous seven or eight tracks. The wicked thing about us is we always have trust. We can even have an open relationship if you must. I look at her, she stares almost straight back at me. But her eyes glaze over like she's looking straight through me. Then her eyes must have closed for what seems an eternity. When they open up, she's looking down at her feet. Got songs like Not Addicted, which is uh, a study of casual gambling, <laughs> um, betting on football matches. Yeah, It's tangentially res- related to the story, but that's one of the, one of the ones that stands up on its own its own right there's only a couple of tracks I think the first and last track which are really they are there primarily to serve the story mm. um, I, I think that's right I think I, th- I kind of liken it to say for something like dry your eyes it would be like throwing your, it would be like turning a film on right at the end and a really good film and the, the a breakup scene or a sad scene would still be you could see it in uh, on its own and it would still be you could still really appreciate the acting and, and the story at that point but it just makes it 10 times better by, uh, by placing it in the album when you've got to know these characters 
throughout, which sounds weird in a 50 minute album. You say got to, got to know, uh, got to know them, but you really do feel kind of by track 10 that you've, that you know the characters quite well, which is, which is weird. Um, but a you know, testament to the great storytelling of, of Mike Skinner. But what, what I did find quite funny was um, picking out some of the songs to listen to again uh, on YouTube. And uh, I picked out a couple of the non-singles. So uh, one was Get Out Get Out of My House, track six. It's actually got quite a lot of negative uh, ratings on, <laughs> on YouTube. It's like, I think about... A, a quarter of the votes are, are down votes and i just think that it must be because if you just stumbled across that and i mean let alone if you stumbled across this album and you weren't british there'd be a lot of things that would confuse you but if you would stumble across just that track on its own and you'd not listen to any more of a grand Deck comfort free i think you'd be pretty baffled well there's a, there's a lot to be confused about um if you are new to the streets anyway yeah, it's a good example of one of the more idiosyncratic songs, um, where he's basically having an argument with his girlfriend Simone. Yeah. So they reference things that have happened in in other songs um, to an extent, and I guess that's one of the one of the kind of more structural songs um, on the album that kind of serves a purpose to move the story along. Mm. It's also great on its uh, um, just viewed as a snapshot. Yeah. Of a domestic argument. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. You, obviously, you might not be familiar with the specifics of the arguments if you kind of just stumble upon it on YouTube. But the kind of general um, back and forth of what seems like quite a trivial debate um, can still be quite relatable, I think. Go get out of my house. Where's she come from, man? Actually, give me back my keys. Just listen to what I'm but saying. It's hard for me because I heard it first on the album, but I still think it can be appreciated with or without the album context. Agreed. And like you said, there's there's some songs like that that might be a little bit more confusing, but there's definitely some like Fit But You Know It, which is worked so well as a single on the album because it is almost a whole mini story in its own isn't it it's uh taking within a lot wider story of the album but it's like kind of a mini story of him going on holiday i think it's and uh yeah takes a lad's holiday um in the middle of the album and that kind of spurs on his his eventual breakup um so it means a lot more i guess in like in the terms of the album as a whole you know that has a whole different meaning when you throw that in and uh, in the context of his relationship with Simone and how, where, what that's going to mean um, but if you just listen to it on its own as a single you're just like oh it's just some some guy on holiday have it you know just lads will be lads <laughs> yeah and I think one of the reasons that you can take the songs in isolation is that they've got different kind of physical settings so Fit But You Know is very different because it's um, it's in a different country we presume um, but Not Addicted is in a betting shop could well be in is in a uh a cafe or a bar um yeah and he's on his date yeah blinded by the lights is a great example that's tells the story of a um mike going for a night out in a club um <laughs> taking Take ecstasy, ecstasy yeah. failing to meet up with his friend dan and his girlfriend simone and uh all the kind of highs and lows of that entails 
obviously the characters are the same. It fits into the overall narrative, but they're all, for the most part, in different settings with their own different little subjects, which kind of relate to normal British life. Which leads us on to point number three, <laughs> very nicely, which is the uh, wonderfully British I've got down here. I did mention at the start that the album didn't quite hit the heady heights in the charts that it did in the UK and the US. Um, and I think uh, definitely a few of the reviewers at the time didn't quite get it. Pitchfork, American magazine at the time, said it, it sounded too proper and formal uh, <laughs> from Mike Skinner. And um, Spin, which is another American uh, rock magazine, said oh, he was a pub hooligan Marshall Mathers. That's how they described it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's not... Is that a negative? I don't know. That's no, probably not. Not a million miles off the mark. I mean, I'd, I would question the hooligan thing, but we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll come on to that. Yeah, it was very British uh, at a time where Mike was clearly influenced by American hip hop a lot, and he he said in a lot of interviews that people like Nas have really influenced him. But I think he he found that he couldn't connect to the lyrics. A lot of the American lyrics that were about American culture and and, and hip hop and gang culture a lot of the time. In one interview, he said he just wanted to put a UK beat and voice to to hip hop, changing bitches, hoes, cars, and Hennessy into Cronenberg, Bensons, and girls. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah it's it's throughout the whole album and we've already touched on it a bit is there's lots of cultural references to british uh yes to british things to british culture uh mentions of itv in a chorus <laughs> i saw this thing on itv the other week said that if she played with her hair she's probably keen JD Sports, yep. Top Shop gets a gets a, a shout out and uh, various other things, and I think it's weird because now it is. Um, I was thinking about this, and with grime now being quite mainstream, Stormzy, uh, another grime artist, you know, it's, it's a it's a signature of grime um, that they'll mention cultural references like Twitter and Instagram, things like that. But mm. at, the t- at the time, this was pretty out there. Um, I know a lot of reviews at the time said it was it was quite unique. No one had really uh, tried that. Everyone was obsessed with um, this idea in hip hop of uh, having to be quite uh, grandiose, uh, you know, show off, and say how much money you've got, or you're in, you know, you're in a, a club drinking champagne. And, and Mike Skinner has, has said again in interviews that he just couldn't understand that. He just wanted to sing about what he knew. He wasn't. He, he just didn't like the idea of pretending to be something that he wasn't. So hence the. Uh, the very real references that he he brings out in this in this story, and I think I think that is quite a British thing. I mean, it's a it's a stereotype, but um, the stereotype goes that British people are much more reserved, they're kind of self apologetic, um, both in kind of day to day conversation and the humour they enjoy, the self deprecation and modesty and all those things. And maybe that's a reason why. The streets connects with British audiences so much more than elsewhere, and there's, there's lots of slang, lots of British slang, some of which I hadn't heard before and <laughs> haven't heard since. I think he made some of it up. To <laughs> One of my favourite of, I think he's used it on the first album, but he refers to uh, brandy as Marlon, right? Presumably a reference to Marlon Brando. Oh right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I assume he made that up, but um, it's things like that. He's got his own little vocabulary. Yeah. 
it's quite endearing there's lines in like fuck right off chap and uh <laughs> you know and, and so he in the in empty cans at the end like he brings his fist up and twats me a good one on the cheek and he grabs my shirt and i'll grab his face with my hand so he brings his fist up and twats me a good one on my cheek lines like that they just they're brought to life by mike's um mike's vocal style and his accent and things like that and again kind of transport you to into the character so well because I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I always listened to this album at, when, at first uh, thinking that it was about Mike Skinner and there was a, a real story about Mike Skinner. Um, and it was only later on that I read up about it and realised that he was, it was more of a, a story. There probably are, there obviously are things in there that he's taken from his own character. But at the time I was thinking yeah, it, was, it, was a, it was a direct monologue of, of his life. Well, yeah, none of it, is stretching reality to believe that those things will happen to Mike because nothing particularly out of the ordinary um, happens, which is part of the kind of genius of the narrative. Which we can, which can bring us on to point four quite nicely. We can, we, we can talk about um, how it's brilliantly mundane. <laughs> so this is quite a streets staple, at least in the early days. Um, there's a song called Wouldn't Have It Any Other Way. At this point in the album, Mike's um, enjoying his relationship with Simone and he's just spending days smoking weed with her on her sofa in her flat. And this particular song, that's for location and it doesn't change and he goes on for about three verses. That's the song, yeah. And that's that's all that happens, really. It's probably one of my favourite songs on the album, that, for that very reason. And I think... I when I f- listened back to it, I was thinking, you know, you constantly, as we we are now r- trying to write songs and think about songs and lyrics, and I think if I ever thought, I'm just going to write a song about how nice it is to just be sat on the sofa doing nothing, <laughs> then I'd feel like I needed to either completely disguise that with with uh, metaphors or or clever lyrics, or I'd need to elaborate you know embellish it in some way or or make it have some deeper meaning and i just love how that song in particular is just about a guy who's just (laughs) sat at home having a spliff just thinking i'm pretty pretty content right now i would actually much prefer to just sit here and chill roaching a spliff watching eastenders or the bill because basically i love her and i love being here still and i love sitting on the sofa with my girl for real I don't want to knock my mates, but there it's the same old drill. Roaching a spliff, watching the TV's my will. I know I never tell about every single day, man. On the album opener, it was supposed to be so easy. He goes through a small series of mundane tasks, um, including trying to withdraw money from the <laughs> bank, uh, which he fails to do because there are insufficient funds in his account. We've all been there, Mike. Rushing to the cash machine, still a bit mashed and lean. And of course, a mandatory car drives by and splashes me. Get there, the queue's outrageous. Ladies taking ages. My rage is blowing gauges. How long does it take to validate your wages? Alas, my turn comes. Press the 50 squid button. Insufficient funds. Today I have achieved absolutely. The humble mobile phone, which I guess was. A relatively yeah new thing in society the fact that everyone had one um back in 2004 gets quite a few mentions in the album lack of signal gets a lot lack lack of signal exactly yeah (laughs) then she let me chat her up later on in that love a little bar 
Hello? Our fucking phones, man. Which is such a boring thing, but like, but it makes it feel so real because those are the things that would, would be happening, you know. Yeah, I think we got cut off. Yeah, I got crap reception in my house. I have to stand in a certain spot in my kitchen or it cuts out. His attention to detail is brilliant. Things that you, like you say, other songwriters wouldn't even contemplate including because they're just apparently so un- unimportant in the grand scheme of things. I think that leads us nicely onto point five, um, which is the use of humour in the album. Yeah. I think it's one of the street's biggest strengths. Um, take the song Not Addicted. He openly admits in the chorus that he doesn't know the first thing about football. <laughs> uh, but he's absolutely adamant all the same that he's going to place this bet and he's going to win some money. Now I don't know the first thing about football But my six tell me this is my windfall It's his lucky day, that's a given And uh, in the kind of mini, mini drama that is this song He starts out determined to put on the bet Then he gets frustrated when he can't place the bet in time And his team, um, simply known as the Blues are beating the Reds 2-0 <laughs> and he's he's furious with himself for failing to put on a bet in time. In the second half, uh, it all turns around, they lose 3-2 and there's a kind of mixture of uh, relief at not losing his money, which he would have done had he put on the bet, which quickly turns to anger at this team, the Blues, who apparently you know he doesn't know anything about, he doesn't <laughs> care for. He's nonetheless frustrated that they managed to blow a 2-0 lead. Would you believe how we fell back? Three goals lost in the last half. So glad I was stranded back in the flat. Winston at every goal we let him have. The question I now have to ask is how the fuck did we get smashed that bad? Just very funny. Yeah, it's it's observational comedy, isn't it? And that's that I think again it kind of harks back to the maybe we would find it funnier than an American listening to it, but for me it's very it's British humour a lot of it and it's observational, so I can imagine that exact person doing that exact thing. Um, yeah, a, f- a few of the songs, I'm sure we've all been in similar situations. Um, it, you can put, you can relate to it and uh, yeah. kind of have a little laugh at yourself almost because you can put yourself in, in Mike's shoes. He's obviously observed other people and what other people do, but it's a very kind of inward-facing observation as well. Um, there's a great... Um, little monologue at the end of Get Out of My House where you kind of just hear one side of a conversation, Mike's side of a conversation for kind of the last minute or so as the, as the beat's ending. <clears throat> and it's some classic lines in there such as, it's hard enough remembering my opinions without remembering my reasons for them. There you go, <laughs> eh? Don't try and give me that shit, right? Because, do you know what I mean? You're not exactly... Fucking, you know, what, do you know what I mean? Well, it don't really matter anymore, do you know what I mean? It's hard enough to remember my opinions without remembering my reasons for them. You're confusing me now. I'm not going to give you an example, I can't remember an example. You do it all the time, you know, that thing that you do. I, I can't remember when you last did it, can I? Those little bits of chatter towards the end of the song and, and they pop up in other songs as well, just here and there. Uh, it brings us nicely onto. Point number six, which uh, is the con- conveyance of an internal monologue, and uh, embellish on that, Jack. <laughs> There's a lot of internal monologue that either goes, gets portrayed either through Mike talking to himself or 
mm. talking to someone else and um, there's not a lot of filter there. So you kind of get the thoughts in real time, the kind of 180 turns in emotion uh, as soon as they occur to him. Yeah. So in the song, what is he thinking? Mike is at his friend Scott's house. He's um, in a bit of a rage because he realizes that Simone's been cheating on him. Um, and he's trying to work out who did it. He thinks it's his friend Scott, but spoiler warning, it turns out to be his friend Dan. And you can hit kind of almost hear the cogs whirring in real time as he remembers little details um, that make him kind of change his mind. He's sort of like a a detective, but he's kind of barely keeping his emotions in check as he as he does so. How long have I undergone his smarm? Shrugging it all off as fun, charm. If he don't stop looking at the TV though, I'm gonna wrap the cable round his wee throat. Hang on, Scott says Simone had the coat. Where did he see her on the D low? What is it I don't need to know? Is he scheming to be near Simone? Incidentally, there's a there's a line earlier on the album in Blinded by the Lights where he's kind of lost in his drug-induced haze in the club, almost a throwaway line. He says, oh, I swear Simone's kissing Dan before kind of putting yeah. it to one side. <laughs> I was, um, I was just so the, cl- the clues that, were there. Yeah. The clues were there. I mean, not not particularly subtly. Yeah, yeah, they cheer. Can they see my hand in the air? Need to wave them over here. I swear Simone's kissing Dan. My head's twisted severe. Bodies rushing everywhere. They could have texted me when they were near, but I'm fucked and I don't care. Lights are blind in my eyes. What was I thinking about? Oh, who cares? Oh, People pushing by. Totally fucking. walking off into the It's kind of interesting watching or listening to Mike kind of catching up with what the audience knows. Some other great examples in wouldn't have it any other way which we've already talked about we've talked about how the whole song is basically him smoking a spliff on his girlfriend's couch and wondering he's enjoying it but he's wondering at the same time whether actually he should go out with his mates and go to a pub instead and i think he changes his mind about three or four times throughout the song (laughs) actually no i will go out because you know you only live once i should actually go out and about flip some beer mats Instead of sitting here at my girl's gaff Cos all I seem to do is sit in this habitat Just roaching a spliff watching the TV And And then 30 seconds later he's back to No, come to think of it, I'll just stay here I'm enjoying myself here But on second thoughts I won't do shots No, I think I will sit on the sofa And eat my TV meal I would actually much prefer to just sit here and chill Certainly the character in the, on this album, the Mike Skinner on this album, is very uncertain. He's got not a great deal of courage in his convictions. He's changing his mind left, right and centre. Little pockets of emotion bubble up. I think on the first first track, there's a great line where he thinks he's lost phone. And then in the very next, very next second, he realises it's in his pocket. <laughs> Where's my phone? Have I got it? Oh, this is a crock of shit. I lost the fucking thing. Oh, here it is in my pocket. And again, it comes back to uh, we were talking about with the yeah with the phone earlier and those little the mundane bits that add that add to it once again. So number seven, number seven is the inclusion of vulnerability um, 
and great honesty in the lyrics, which we've already covered in various other points, so I'll keep this brief. But braggadocio is a <laughs> word that's commonly... I love it. I've never heard it before. ...associated with uh, kind of rap and hip-hop. is boasting, basically, boasting about the mm. money you've got, the lifestyle you have. Um, this is very... Um, very anti that there's a lot of kind of uncertainty and self doubt as we've um as we've established it's you know most evident on the the softer songs like dry your eyes um no pride almost this guy's just been dumped and he's not trying to put a brave face on it he's kind of yeah. down on his knees begging to be given another chance because i can't imagine my life without you and me there's things I can't imagine doing, things I can't imagine seeing. It weren't supposed to be easy, surely. Please, please, I'm begging, please. She brings her hands up to Do you think the fact that it's told in like the third person, or do you think he feels therefore he can be a bit more open with the story? And it, it hard one to explain, but like if it was if it was just him singing about his own feelings directly in the first person, I don't feel like it would have the same feeling of mm. well, vulnerability. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, so he's he's singing in the first person, but I think. Oh yeah, true. What, true. what, what you mean is like he's he is playing he's playing. Oh yeah, that's that's what I mean. Semi-fictional so, yeah. character. Yeah, I, I guess what um, I, yeah I guess what I kind of meant was I'm assuming that all these characters are kind of made up, although they might not be. But I guess it, he's able to bring by bringing in these other characters and the story. He can talk about those things where maybe he he might not feel. I'm, t- I'm speaking for Mike Skinner here, but <laughs> he might not feel that he could speak directly about like a person, you know, a girlfriend or a past relationship in quite as direct a terms as he he does here. You know, he mentions Simone by name, he mentions other characters by name, and it makes it feel a lot more honest and vulnerable because because of that. Yeah, I think maybe um, when it comes to other people, certainly songwriters can be less uh, inclined to to mention them by name um, bringing other people into your your confessions or your uh, your diaries almost yeah exactly yeah and kind of putting them out there for the public to to consume is maybe a bit unfair on them so yeah I'd agree having other people but uh, either partly or entirely fictional means you can do whatever you want with them and you don't have to worry about exposing them in any way point number eight the inventive storytelling formats we talked a lot already about the how great this album is at you know its narrative and its film like uh story storytelling style but um within that there's there's different format he uses different formats to um portray this the story so whether that's from uh phone calls to uh, actual arguments that just takes away from it just being a, a song about a situation. It's it's the actual situation. You're thrown into the conversation directly or and things like that. So this is something I probably didn't appreciate as much until I went back to, to listen to the album uh, to research this podcast episode. Um, there's a, a number of different techniques used on here, which... Um, perhaps don't get enough credit the kind of standard default a grand don't come for free is maybe a an internal monologue type of storytelling but there's there's other things at play too like we've mentioned get out of my house a lot is is a duet Mm. with simone so you get kind of two sides of an argument there is a similar thing going on 
on what is he thinking with Scott. So Scott has a verse, but yeah. these are these are things that are unsaid. This is kind of two internal monologues running simultaneously while they're both watching TV. Yeah, so that just just having the other lyricist on there makes it completely different to if he was just talking about a conversation that he'd had or an argument that he'd had. Yeah, I mean, you you really get two points of view, which I think is generally quite a sympathetic album in that it tries to kind of understand people's motivations and the similarities between them and actually having a different voice actor on there really kind of makes you believe that there are different personalities at play i can't just deny because my face shows looking at the telly's not aiding no i can't tell mike this man didn't know and innocently borrowed the coat at simone's maybe the most inventive format is saved for the last song empty cans we've got this kind of sliding doors moment halfway through so the first half of the song is quite dark he's he's been dumped he's wallowing in self-pity tv repairman comes over and ends up getting in a fight with mike because he's you know she's just being grumpy with him uh, i think he's, he's i think mike's pissed because he's uh he's he's yeah he's down the dumps he's drunk he's yeah he's he's, li- he's literally pissed and he's yeah. he's pissed off um and yeah he's He's wallowing and things kind of go bad from bad for the worse. The TV man comes back later, knocks on mine to say he's found something in the back of the TV. I'm looking at me absolutely speechless, can't quite believe he's trying to pull this fucking stunt on me. I knew it was a simple case of a power supply gone on the back, but he's trying to tap me up for more money. He says it's not like that and I'm like, fuck off and die and stick up my two fingers and one more to make three. He says, don't talk to me like that. And I don't understand. My face is in his face. I tell him I understand perfectly. And he grabs me. Uh, and then about halfway through, you get a classic kind of tape rewind sound effect. And the same beat starts. The same lyrics start. If I want to sit in and drink super tenants in the day, I will. No one's going to fucking tell me, Jack. But after a short while, it subtly changes. More major key piano chords appear in the background and lyrical changes occur which significantly alter the direction of the narrative to the point where Mike ends up finding his shoebox full of a thousand pounds and when he looked down the back of the TV his eyes just froze before he rammed his hand in saying no shit he's looking at me absolutely speechless he can't quite believe what he's trying to pull out the slip I get up wondering what he's smiling about. He's shaking his head at this point with biggest of grins. I look down the back of the TV and that's where it was, in all its glory. My thousand quid. I mean, I guess the point of the song is that you're you're in control of your own choices and how you approach situations, how you react with the hand you've been dealt, even if, you know, bad things happen to you. It really is an emotional rollercoaster of the album. I mean, there's there's certain songs where you can think that everything's going okay, and then it suddenly going from wouldn't have it any other way of uh, of Mike sitting on the sofa thinking that he's got it all sorted and that he he, he wouldn't really change anything straight into get out of my house <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he's getting thrown out of the house. It's like, and then as he said, within just one song in empty cans, those. he's gone from complete despair to kind of uh, to realising it's not so bad it's uh, it throws you all over the place this album it's uh, emotionally <laughs> a little aside I f- 
only found out recently that it was actually a song cut from this album. Oh, right. That was supposed to go between, um, I think, between Fit But You Know It and Such a Twat. And the song uh, exists. It's called Soaked by the Ale. It's a B-side. Um, and I think the basic plot of that was, while still on holiday, Mike gets in trouble with the authorities for stealing like a three euro tub of ice cream. <laughs> And his, his mates are kind of not happy about him for that, for causing a scene. It's too mundane to make the album, that one. Yeah, uh, yeah it doesn't, it's not integral to a plot, although he, it does briefly get mentioned in such a twat. I think he mentions the thing with the ice cream. <laughs> and them aftershots made me lose the plot. It all got a bit bizarre. And that incident with the ice cream, I forgot it all ended in our vodka. What I can remember is a blot. So, talking about emotional roller coasters, um, this brings us on to point number nine, which is the versatility, the versatile soundtrack. Yeah, for me, I think it's so clever how the music really dictates the emotion in this album. So Mike's obviously his his voice vocal style does change slightly to being slightly louder or slightly softer in certain songs or slightly more shouty when he's angrier. But really your emotions are taken to different places with the with the music. So yeah the the tense kind of noirish sounds on what is he thinking? This the kind of um, swelling brass sounds and string sounds in it are almost like a film score. I wish I could read what his eyes are saying, staring straight and not blinking. He's not giving anything away. What is he thinking? I wish I could read what his eyes are saying, staring straight and not blinking. He's not giving anything away. What is he thinking? But then, you know, you've got the strings on things like dry your eyes, which are, um, which just tell you that it's an emotional song. It doesn't, you know, obviously the lyrics tell you that as well, but immediately when you hear the, the minor chords and, uh, and the song starts, you, you're taken to a, a very certain place. And then something like Blinded by the Lights is very electronic, very, um, you know, the, the use of the female vocal, kind of reverby vocal just makes you feel like you're in a club. Blinded by the Lights is probably one of the highlights, well, musically and lyrically. Ominous, slow kick and snare beat uh, offset by the sort of offbeat synth wobbles, if you yeah. like, um, are quite emotive, and especially when when the sort of faders are turned up and down at various parts in the song to reflect the uh, highs and lows mm. of Mike's physical and uh, emotional well-being on that particular night. That's the one. Oh. How did he not find a baggie with his hand in my shoe? Way too close for me. Oh, well, at least they allowed me through. Should be a good night in here. Ramo in the main room. People keep pushing me though. And the reception on the phone. And I'm thinking. Lights are blind in my eyes. They said they'd be here, they said. They said in the corner. And I'm thinking. People pushing by. Then walking off into the It'd be interesting to know if he wrote the the lyrics before the music or, or vice versa. I imagine it's probably 
a bit of both, but I like how it feels in a lot of tracks, like the the vocals will very closely follow the the music and the beat to the point where he kind of extends syllables um, quite dramatically in some cases. It's his lucky day, that's a given. He'll tick the box on the slip and then just watch and learn. He's not addicted, he can stop any time. But this is gonna pay, he feels it, this wanna be fine. I've got a quote from a review from The Guardian newspaper, which I think yeah. we mentioned in the Muse episode. But uh, anyway, this was, <laughs> unlike that one, this was a positive review. Right. But it's got an interesting uh, segment here about Mike's Mike Skinner's flow, which, if you've heard any of the streets, you'll know is not like a typical uh, hip-hop MC at all. And the quote goes, Like a teenager forced against his will to read poetry aloud in an English lesson, <laughs> he dutifully obeys rigid rhyme schemes and meters at the expense of natural rhythm, lurching from line to line, putting emphasis on unlikely syllables and breaking words up in order to make them fit. You hesitate to call it a vocal technique, but it lends his lyrics a unique spontaneity, as if he was reciting them for the first time, specifically for your benefit. That's it. That's it. Yeah, it's hit the nail on the head. Is it? Crea- it is almost as if they're having the argument for the first time, and they're and the the music is going on in the background, and they're fitting the argument to the music, um, which I, I feel like it must have been done deliberately. But it's uh, yeah, it's brilliant. Maybe at first it was almost just a clumsy attempt to make make the rhymes work, but he definitely harnesses it to his own um, own advantage, and he, he uses that kind of technique a lot. And it's again the word I'd use is endearing. You're kind of on his side for the sort of flawed nature of of his rapping, I guess. Um, yeah, it feels real. It feel it feels real. Yeah, it feels it feels off the cuff, and it feels like he's trying to make the best of, of what he can do at that moment, which is kind of what the character is doing in the album as well. Finally, segueing on to our final point, which is pushing the boundaries between different genres. And I think this is a really important one, and I think it's uh, probably why I ended up hearing it in the first place. This album f- found its way into more indie circles at the time, uh, a time in the early 2000s to mid 2000s uh, where there was a lot of guitar based indie music was uh, was very much in the mainstream uh, and the streets started getting played this album in particular started getting played on XFM in the UK and kind of traditional Indian rock radio stations where hip hop um, and rap were were not commonplace Mike says in interviews that he thinks it's the lyrics and the fact that indie heads like listening to lyrics but i think it's more where in songs like or fit but you know it is a, an obvious one where he's there's a an homage yeah. to kind of his guitar yeah, in there almost an indie song it is straight up but um again it's part of the storytelling it, it feels like a kind of football chant-esque kind of song that you might hear when you're on a lad's holiday or something <laughs> something like that yeah yeah you are feet and yeah i do want it but i stop sharking a minute to get chips and drinks I'm not trying to pull you, even though I would like to. I think you are really fit. You're fit, but my gosh, don't you know? Throughout the album, there's obviously influence from all sorts, from UK Garage, of course, but then 
R&B. There's a lot of soul in there. Um, mm. It just utilizes the different genres for, for emotion, I guess, pri- primarily. You know, electronic for Blinded by the Lights because that is the music that will be playing in that situation. But by doing that, uh, maybe by accident, it's it's made, it made the streets a lot more accessible to all sorts of different people. And I mean, for me personally, it bridged the gap between a lot of indie music I was listening to at the time and then things like UK Garage and, and hip hop, which I had listened to a bit, but maybe not quite as much. So I think it must have been the case for a lot of people in the UK in particular. It's still quite hard to uh, pigeonhole the streets, even in light of what's come since. I don't quite fit in uh, in a in a genre. Mm-hmm. Um, rap or hip hop is obviously the most kind of logical one to put them in, but um, there's a lot of a lot of bases touched. Yeah, and I think the vocal delivery is kind of in a in a world of its own. I suppose these days you get people like Sleaford Mods. Um, yeah, which I feel like must be very much in the mold of of the streets. Or must have been influenced. <laughs> yeah, so, and yeah. You, you get almost punk artists, I guess, are taking cues from from that sort of delivery, and the backing might be more to the kind of guitar end, or it might be more to the hip hop end. But streets seem to sit kind of in the middle. You introduced me to this album uh, way back when, fit, but you know it was the only song I'd heard, and I kind of assumed that that was. That was them, kind of this like laddish, rowdy um, <laughs> troublemakers. Uh, I mean, I didn't know it was, didn't know it wasn't a band for starters. Yeah. having a name like the Streets, and then listening to the album as a whole revealed a new, or well, several new sides, um, several new sides to him. Yeah, and it's definitely, it definitely parts from uh, the sound of the first album, um, which is also a great album, but it it didn't quite go into the realms of, of there was definitely no real indie on there and there wasn't really as much soul and uh, it was, yeah, it was quite a departure from that. And I, I feel like it must have been to help tell the story as much as anything. Maybe maybe it's a pattern of uh, of what we like in albums. <laughs> We'd like kind of similar to Muse on our last um, album that we talked about. It doesn't really fit into one particular genre. It, t- it pushes the boundaries a little bit and that's clearly something that, we find interesting and maybe something that we can use on on our album indeed so are there any other of those points we've discussed that you would particularly like to include on our album Mm, i mean we have talked briefly about about writing a concept album and maybe maybe that is still something we can do and i really do like the idea of doing that at some point i think it was at a grand don't come for free that has kind of ignited that spark in me to uh, to want to do something like this because I think I've always been interested in yeah like film and, and creating cinema and, and TV as well. And I think if you can try and incorporate something like that into an album, it just make, it just takes it to another level. And I think having a concept just would kind of keep you on on track a bit more and uh, and make it easier to feel like a an album than just a series of singles that may or may not fit together so i like the idea of of a concept in one way or another how about you <laughs> yeah l- lyrically i mean it's this is a great example of an album or an artist but i find it almost impossible to imagine that i would 
replicate um, directly. Yeah. But in my own way, I'd love to draw from his mastery of humor and honesty and vulnerability and attention to detail, I guess, is, is the, probably the biggest one that I take from his yeah his lyrical style. The kind of invention of it, um, we talk, talked about with storytelling formats and the structures of songs. I think um, usually when I think of songs pushing boundaries, you know, I'm thinking of musical innovations or possibly lyrical uh, subjects that don't usually get touched upon. But I've not given too much thought to kind of narrative structures of songs before. Um, yeah. And how you kind of tell your story within a particular song. Uh, and that's something that I didn't expect to take away from reviewing this album, but there you go, I have. Yeah. I think most of all as well, it's kind of where we started off the podcast series saying is that an album should be a piece of art that you're kind of proud of in, in its whole, it, everything about it contributes towards it being a piece of art. And I think this album um, by the streets, it does that. It's everything from the album artwork, which I used to have a poster of in my, in my room a long time ago. And apparently they, they're selling for lots of money now, but I don't have it anymore. Apparently, well, let's say lots of money, about a hundred, hundred pounds on eBay for a street, for an original street. Oh, it's a lot for a poster. Yeah, exactly. Um, I just think it's that most people don't have them in good condition. <laughs> uh, tricky to keep a post unless you framed it. Um, but yeah, everything from the, the album artwork to the, to the lyrics, to the music, uh, just as a, a package as a whole, a piece of art, I think if we can get, anywhere near what they what he achieved with this album then i'll be i'll be very happy so that brings us to the end of another episode of the tune lighting podcast thanks once again for listening and if you've been listening since the start or for a while now then thanks very much for doing so uh, please feel free to drop us a message on twitter facebook uh, on instagram too to let us know you're listening and uh, if you haven't already please do Click the subscribe button so you get these episodes downloaded every week automatically. Not that you need reminding. Um, and yeah, we'll be back next week with uh, with another normal episode tackling some sort of issue or topic around this task that we've set ourselves of trying to record an album in just one year. <laughs>